Jeremiah chapter number 13, and I, uh, I want you to go with me to Old Testament. I have been in the New Testament primarily, and on Sunday mornings we've been in the book of Acts, and, and Lord willing we'll go back there on Sunday uh, as we think about David serving his own generation. That's where we happen to be. Uh, but tonight, I, 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 and I don't do this often, but I just randomly one day the, this week or last week, I just read this chapter. It wasn't in my Bible reading. I just read it, and I thought, man, that's a powerful story I've never preached on before. And I started marking some things down, and then I thought, well, I'm going to preach that. And so that's kind of where we are. So we're not in a study necessarily on the book of Jeremiah, and we're just going to look at this 13th chapter, Jeremiah chapter number 13. And I have had a great opportunity to preach to children most of my life. That's what I started out doing. And I have used, at this point in my life, I, I dare say hundreds of object lessons. And sometimes visual, sometimes somebody holding a word, and, and uh, that's just the way it is. But that's the way this story is in Jeremiah chapter number 13. God gives his prophet an object lesson, or we may call it this way, a picture sermon. And this is one of those, but it's a very vivid picture, and it is also a very pointed picture. In Jeremiah chapter number 13, I uh, will take for a text verse, uh, just this verse in verse number 7, and I won't take the time to read the whole chapter because as we walk through it, we'll read this chapter together. But verse number 7, the Bible says, Then I went to Euphrates and digged and took the girdle from the place where I had hid it, and behold, the girdle was marred, and notice this, it was profitable for nothing. And then look in verse number 10, and uh, he says, This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart, walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. And for a little while, I'm going to preach on good for nothing. <laughs> a good for nothing Christian. <laughs> when God's people are good for nothing. Now, in a southern expression, that's, that's, we say, well, that's a, that's a good-for-nothing, low-down, rotten scoundrel. And everybody knows that man has a character flaw, or that woman has a character flaw, or that kid. We, we just make that expression, and we say, well, they're good for nothing. And, we, and, and now some of us, like my grandma Fowler, she never had a negative word to say about anybody. And if anybody started, she tried to find something nice to say about them. But this is not one of us judging someone else, saying they're good for nothing. This is God Almighty saying about his people, they've reached the point where they're good for nothing. He said, how do you get there? Oh, this is a very powerful story. Look, at the first thing I want you to notice is, is the position of the linen girdle. Now, we'll walk through this story just literally verse by verse, make a few comments and make an application and we'll be done. But notice in verse number one and two, he says, Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and get thee a linen girdle and put it upon thy loins and put it not in water. So... I got a girdle according to the word of the Lord and put it on my loins. And now this is a, an imagery that we're not used to and, and uh, this is not something we're, we're, we're thinking about. But if you understand in the Bible that word linen and if you study the Old Testament, that, that picture of linen had to do with purity. And he said, get the linen girdle. Now, uh, the girdle would be like a priestly robe or, or priestly garment. We would think of it as an undergarment. And he said this, he says, now go get that. He says, go get a new one, don't wash it, don't put it in water. He says, and you put that close to yourself. 
Now here's the position in the picture that I want you to understand. To get the imagery, we have to understand the position of the girdle showed us God's love for his people. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, they were God's royal people. They were the closeness. They were espoused to him. They were his, they were, as we would say, his bride. They were, they had a special place in his heart. They wanted to, he wanted them close and and they had a purpose. If you look down in verse number 11, you see that purpose. It says, verse number 11 says, for as the linen cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, notice this, that they might be unto me for a people, for a name, for a praise, for a glory, but they would not hear. Now the nation of Israel was God's chosen people and he said, I desired for them to be close to me, to have intimate fellowship with me, to be close to me and to walk side by side with me. That way they may be to me a people, a nation, a praise, a glory. They had a purpose in life that no one else had. He said, man, that's pretty special. And I understand this is the prophet Jeremiah prophesying about the, his time and the land and, and what was coming and the, the captivity that was coming. There's no doubt the historical context is there, but it is a lesson for all of us to learn. If you hold your place here and go to 1 Peter chapter number 2, you say, well, we're not that people. Oh, I beg to differ with you. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number twenty. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 9 says it this way. I'll give you a second to turn there. He, he goes back in verse, this whole chapter talking about what he had wanted for the nation of Israel. And, and they rejected and the builders disallowed. And, and then notice he says in verse number 9, but that because of their refusal, verse number nine, he said this, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his glorious light. He says, which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. And I ask you a question tonight. Have you obtained the mercy of God at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received the grace and the mercy of Almighty God? And if that is you, then the Bible says this, that you are a royal priesthood. You're a chosen people. You are no longer to live for your purpose. You're to live for His glory. You're to live for His praise. You're to live for His honor. And so as we look at the Old Testament and see the nation of Israel and we see the place of this girdle, we understand the New Testament church has the same sacred responsibility to be close to the Lord, to be honoring unto the Lord and to live for His praise and for His glory. And go back with me to this story. You say, man, that's a great opportunity, isn't it? And we're awful, oh, well, look, us New Testament believers, we're awful hard on the nation of Israel. We say, man, how could you? I mean, look what he's done for you. But now the Bible says that he hath freely given us of his own son. And yet, if we're not careful, we find our place in the same spot, full of pride and arrogancy. Look in look the rest of the story. Notice, secondly, notice the pollution of the girdle. So the, word of the, the verse number three says this, and the word of the Lord came unto me a second time. 
So first time, get a girdle. Second time, wear the girdle. The second time it says this, take the girdle, verse four, that thou hast got, which is upon thy loins, and go arise to Euphrates and hide it there in the hole of a rock. So here's this beautiful linen garment that the, the prophet has worn, and he says, now go to Euphrates. And, and they tell us this is a long journey. It's on the northward side. And he says, dig a hole in the mud and put it there. Now, that just doesn't, let's be honest, that just doesn't make sense, Lord. And you say, look at verse, verse number five, and he says, So I went and hid it in the, by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And it came to pass after many days that the Lord said unto me, Arise and go to Euphrates and take the girdle from thence which I command thee to hide there. Then I went to Euphrates and digged it and took the girdle from the place where I'd hid it. And behold, the girdle was marred and it was profitable for nothing. So here's this linen girdle. He says, go bury it by the Euphrates. And by the way, he said, wear it first and understand the closeness of it. And we think about the closeness and the Bible uses this expression when he thinks about the nation of Israel and the lamenting. Jeremiah says, I remember thine espousals. And he uses this expression. He says to the nation of Israel, I remember when we were close and we were in love and it was our desire and you desired after me. He says, but now in, in lamentation, he said this way, you've changed your gods. And here he gives them this picture, this close linen, this linen girdle was now buried and now it was marred. And can I say this to you, hidden dishonest things will always mar your life. Hidden things that you don't deal with only get worse. <laughs> so I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. Well, it ain't going to get better. Matter of fact, it gets worse. Uh, they tell us this literal trip could have taken as much as three months and it was further north and, and the Euphrates River being from the north and, and they tell us that's the direction that eventually the, the, the bondage would come from and, and you see it. But notice this, it says in verse number seven, he says it, you're, no, you're, you're, it is profitable and it is good for nothing. Now we all understand this. You can imagine an old garment laying for months hidden under a rock in a mud pit, the last thing you're going to do is say, oh, I'm glad I found it. I'm going to put that on. You don't want anything to do with it. You're disgusted by it. And when the prophet gives his story to the nation of Israel, they understand exactly what he's talking about. And by the way, they understand it to the point that they've pronounced judgment on themselves. And he says, it's good for nothing. You say, what does it mean? It means it is not able to fulfill the purpose for which it was created. And see, you find yourself, we're not careful, we, we think about marred with the world, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here. We think about being marred from the world, and there's no doubt we're to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. But see, the sin that was being dealt with here was not fleshly sins. The sin that was being dealt with here was not necessarily worldliness, but it started with one sin that is the sin that all of us have to deal with, and that is the sin of pride. You see the pollution of the girdle in verses 3 through 7, but notice the third thing with me. Notice this sin of pride. Now, the Lord's pretty hard on pride. Look at verse number 8. He says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, After this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Mark it in your Bible, the word pride and the great pride. 
He says, you think you can find a, a better avenue to live, a better way to live, better sustenance, better supply. You can run to Egypt every time you have a problem. You can run, find aid somewhere else. He said, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to mar your pride. Your strength that you think is strong is about to be destroyed. Now, I want you to write this statement down. With pride, we are good for nothing to God. So what do you mean by that? James tells us this, and First Peter tells us this, that God resisteth the proud. That, that means literally he stiff arms. He keeps them away from him. You can't be close to God and be filled with pride because he won't let it happen. He says, I'm going to resist it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, just write it down in verse number 16. Proverbs 6, 16 says this, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. What's number one on the list? A proud look. You say, what about those hands that shed innocent blood and the, the, uh, the abortionist and those that are, have wicked imaginations and, and those that are after mischief? No, on God's list, one of the things is pride and that it ends with those that sow discord among the brethren. One of the characteristics of our time, it says in, in the book of 2 Timothy, is that it is a proud group that we're prideful. So what's Pride. To be honest with you, pride's choosing my way instead of his way. Pride's looking to everybody but him. I've read in my Bible, in the margin of my Bible, with pride we are good for nothing. You say, what pride? Pride is, notice in verse number 10, please don't miss it. This evil people. So what are they evil? Well, they're pride. Now, I write it down somewhere in the margin of your Bible, in your heart, in your mind. Look, pride is always evil. Pride is self-sufficiency and self-reliance without God. Now, notice what he says in verse number 10. Now, 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 now look, verse number 10 gives us the steps to destruction. Don't miss it. Verse number 10 gives us, and it's just simple. You can read it. I've numbered him in my Bible. Notice in verse, in verse number 10, it says this. This evil people first. Now look, they refuse to hear. They refuse to hear my words. I said to you this morning after the message, that was a convicting message and a, and a challenging message. And what I heard last night, I said to the young people, I said, you're now responsible for what you've been given and I said to you this morning, does God ever speak to your heart about something? Does the God of the universe ever take his word and, and whisper, hey, 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 pay attention. You need to give a greater emphasis in your life to that or you need to give a lesser emphasis in your life to that or, uh, or you need to fix this or you need to fix that. Does he ever do that? Well, then the first question is this, do you refuse? So you never be a marred vessel as long as you're obeying. But the minute, listen to me, the minute you start refusing, you're headed toward destruction. Notice the second step. He says, not only do they refuse to hear my word, but notice this. He says, he says this, they walk in the imagination of their heart. Now, if I could circle this and jump up and down, that's where American Christianity lives. Excuse my English for just a minute. They ain't going to obey God, but they try to pretend like they're not going after the world and they live after the imagination of their heart. 
They say, well, this is what culture teaches me. This is what mama said. This is what granny said. This is what my family said. This is what my kids did or my, my parents did. And they live in the imagination of the heart. And they say, well, I'm not destroyed my life yet. And I've worked hard. And I've made an honest living. And I've done this. And I've done that. Therefore, I'll choose my own way. But can I say this to you? Living in the imagination of your heart is a step away from God, not a step toward God. And I'm afraid, I, I'm afraid that churches like this church have what we would call good people that live after their own wisdom, after their own way. And you can show them black and white in the Bible and they say, well, that's good for the preacher and the deacons, but that ain't good for the common folk. Hold on just a second. I don't see this book written to the pastor and to the deacon. I see God created life I see God as the sustainer of life. I see God as the fulfiller of life. Then look, he's got every right to tell you what to do and what not to do. In the Garden of Eden, when he said, don't eat that tree, uh, the theologians call that the divine prerogative. Let me illustrate that to you. You ever told your kid to do something? And they say, why? And you say, because I said so. You say, because I'm the parent and I'm allowed to make the rules. They don't like it, but that's the reality. That's what God said about that tree. He said, I'm the creator and I get to make the rules. God is the creator of life and he said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But my question is, why do we live in the imagination of our heart? We live as if we have better answers than God lives. We live as if we can obey part of the truth or we live as we can get close. No, no, no. Uh, when you're living after the imagination of your own heart and not, against the, and not for the clear teaching of the word of God, you're, you're a step in the wrong direction. Now, you're not destroyed yet. But notice what happens next. They live after the imagination of their own heart. Then notice this. They walk after other gods. So instead of hearing the word of God and obeying, they first live in this imaginary place of their own heart. Then notice this. They start walking away. They, they, they walk after. They begin to walk away. Now look, all of us have seen this happen. You've seen it happen time and time and time again. And then it goes a step further. They serve them. Now with their time and energy and effort and talents and money, they're no longer serving God. They're serving something else or someone else. But notice these gods are, are little G-O-D. They, they are not the true God. They are not the one and only God. He says then they serve them and then notice this, then they worship them. I see five steps I've written in my Bible there. One, two, three, four, five. They, they refuse to hear. They walk after the imagination of their heart. They walk after other gods. They begin to serve and then they begin to worship. And notice this. And because of that, the Bible says in verse number 10, they are good to for nothing. Write it down. The pathway to being good for nothing is to refuse the clear teaching of God's word. When a preacher, I don't care if he preaches like I preach. I don't care if he's quieter, louder. I don't care if he's more country. I don't care if he's more dignified. But when someone takes this book and says, thus saith the Lord, and you say, I don't know about all that, then look at me, you just took a step in the wrong direction. I mean, you're headed toward destruction. 
You're headed down a path that will end with God having to mar your pride. He'll have to destroy things in your life to get your attention. You notice the sin of pride, and it goes in verse number 11. I already read this to you. They they lost their purpose. I've written in my Bible what they should have been. What they should have been was praise and glory and people and honor. Notice this. It says it again at the end of verse number 11. He says they, they would not hear. They would not listen. God says this and that and they wouldn't listen and he gives them prophets and, and the Old Testament prophet literally means to bull forth and, and at times in history God would raise up a prophet and, and they would speak the word of God and they would foretell the word of God and they would foretell the, the word of God and, and you had this special thing but the children of God just kept going their own way. But can I ask you a question? How is that any different than you've heard thousands of messages in your life and you've decided you're going to live like you're going to live? I'm sorry. I'm sick and tired of hearing people say that's just the way I was made and the way I was raised. And I'm saying to you, well, what about the power of the resurrected Lord? I mean, I'm sorry. But we don't come here to feel good about ourselves and to build up our self-esteem. No, we come here to hear what God's Word says because when we hear what God's Word says, the Bible says this, it edifies us, it builds us, it strengthens us. But if we refuse, look at me, if we refuse to hear God's Word, then the Bible says this, He refuses us because He rejects the proud. You see, the pride of God's people, then notice a fourth thing with me. Notice this illustration of the pots. In verse number 12, it says, Therefore shalt thou speak unto them this word, Thus saith the Lord of Israel, Every bottle shall be filled with wine, and they shall say unto thee, Do we not certainly know that every bottle shall be filled with wine? Then shalt thou say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings that sit upon David's throne, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness. So here's the illustration. He says, I'll fill these clay pots with, uh, with wine and they, their purpose. But now he says what was their purpose is turned into drunkenness. Notice the illustration. The illustration of drunkenness is not a positive thing. And I still say this, I know it's not a popular message, but you won't find a positive thing about alcohol in the book. The linen girdle is an illustration of pride and drunkenness is an illustration of stumbling and darkness. Look in verse 14. This is free, but it's in there. Verse 14 said, I will dash them, notice this, against another. Even as fathers and sons together, saith the Lord, I will not pity nor spare nor have mercy, but destroy them. Circle the word drunkenness in verse number 13. Circle the word against in verse number 14. And circle the word destroy. Here in this picture of the pot filled with wine, he says, he says I'll, I'll get, they'll, they'll be drunken. And notice this, when you find drunction, drunks, you always find disputes. You know who will fight in a moment is a drunk. They call it liquid courage for a reason. He thinks he's bigger than he is. <laughs> he thinks he's tougher than he is. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It ain't just alcohol, but in the, under the influence. And then notice this, it's destruction. So please don't miss that you have drunkenness, dispute, destruction. Now, God could have chosen anything to illustrate what he's going to do, but he chose, it. he chose these pots and the drunkenness of it. You notice the... 
He said it will destroy. And then notice the fifth thing with me. Notice God's plea. Now we've seen the illustrations as vivid. Go bury the linen girdle. It was pure. It was perfect. It was right. He says, but now it's marred. It's dirty. It's good for nothing. And he says, it's because of your pride. Then he says, go get these pots. And he says, I'll make the whole nation like a bunch of staggering drunks that will be pitted against each other and it'll destroy the nation. And I have yet to find one thing, I'll say it again, I've yet to find one thing that intoxicating alcohol has ever built, all it's ever done has destroyed. But then notice God's plea. You say, man, he must be pretty mad at them. He's ready to wipe them off the earth. Well, if we were God, we would be. But the Bible says this, that he's (laughs) long-suffering. You say, what does that mean? He gives us more chances than we deserve. Look Look at the plea in verse number 15. He says this, hear ye and give ear. Be not proud. So after the illustration, he says very simply, here's the plea, don't be proud. Don't be too proud to turn from your wickedness. Don't be too proud to admit you've made a mistake. Don't be too proud to admit that you've gone too far. Don't be proud. Notice this, for the word of the Lord has spoken. So God, you've refused, you've not listened, you've not hearkened unto me, you've gone your own way. Yet one more time, God lifts his voice and says, don't be proud, I'm speaking to you. I'm giving you one more chance. He said, don't be proud. Notice this, look in verse number 15, or verse number 16. Give glory unto God. That is our responsibility. But mark this word, look, before he calls darkness. And then mark it again in verse 16. Before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains and while you look for light and he turn it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. Here's what, here's what the prophet says up and down. He says, look, don't be proud. Give glory back to God. Look before darkness. And before drunkenness, before stupidity, before stumbling, before this, before this happens, he said, give glory to, give, look, the word give glory means it gives us this idea that we give God what he's worth. You say he's worth everything. Now you're getting it. He's the one I stand for at the end of life. He's the one I stand before at the end of life. He's one makes my lungs work. He's one makes my brain work. He's one makes these legs work. Someone said it this way. He says he doesn't have to take life from you for you to die. He just has to quit giving it to you. So you think about your life. And then we say, no, look. We say, nah. I got this. I hope I have time at the end to make things right with you. No, 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 no. That's an, that's an offense to an almighty God. He gives us all of this. He sees us going the wrong way. And if, if, for, for lack of a better word, he jumps up and down and screams and hollers and says, please don't do that before I have to really judge you. Please, please come back to me. Please give me my glory. Give me my right place in your life. He says, don't go that way. Notice it's a plea from before. Look in verse number 17. He said this way, but if you will not hear... He says, if you won't hear it, if you won't listen, 
He said, my soul shall sweep into secret places for your pride. And my eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. He said to the nation of Israel, he says, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to use heathen nations to judge you. And if you know your history of God's word, you know that happened. But it did not happen without warning. And he says in verse number 18, look, say unto the king and to the queen, humble yourselves. Sit down for your principalities shall come down, even the crown of your glory. And the cities of the south shall be shut up and, and none shall open unto them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it, and it shall be wholly carried away. Lift up your eyes and behold them that come from the north. Where is the flock that was given thee, thy beautiful flock? What will thou say when he shall punish thee? For thou hast taught them to be captains and of chief over all. Shall not sorrows take thee as a woman travail? He says in verse number 18, he says, look, the principalities, the, the kings and the queens, the noble people. He said, would you humble yourself? He said, you think, you, you think you're invincible. You're the kings and queens and the rulers of God's chosen people. And you act like you're invincible. He said, don't make it be this way. He said, I'm about to destroy your kingdom from the north and the south. And we know that happens. And God is pleading before destruction. Then notice quickly in closing this last thing. Notice the, the pictures that he gives. These are vivid imageries. He says in verse number 22, he says, And if thou say in thine heart, Where come these things for the greatness of thy iniquity or thy skirts discovered and thy heels made bare. He says it's, it's like you're discovered, your nakedness, inappropriateness. He says, he says you find yourself just embarrassed. Then he says in verse number 23, he says, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leper his spots? Then may ye also do evil and are accustomed to doing evil. He says now it has become part of your nature like a leopard spot. He says, and like an Ethiopian skin, he says, it is now part of your nature to go against me. How, how did we get there? How, how did the nation of Israel get there? They got their way back there when they stopped obeying. And now it's just part of their nature. They're, they're bent, as the Bible uses this expression, they're bent for destruction. Go on, the pictures go on in verse 24. He says this, he says, therefore will I scatter them as the stubble that passes away by the wind of the wilderness. He says, like the chaff, the wind just blows it. He says, just like the stubble, he says, you're going to be scattered. You're no longer, you think you're great now. He says, been a little while, you're going to be like dry grass just blowing all over the fields. And then he says in verse number 25, this is thy lot, the portion of thy measures for me, saith the Lord. Notice, because thou have forgotten me and trusted in falsehoods. Where'd those falsehoods start? In the imagination of our hearts. The Bible says the heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. <laughs> Who can know it? And we say, people say today, well, just trust your heart. Now look, trust this book and obey this book. My heart, my heart can lead me astray. You say, what do you do when you struggle with things? I go back to the book and say, what does the word of God say? In verse 26, it says, therefore I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, that thy shame shall appear. There it is again. He says, that's what the nation of Israel, you were supposed to be great and glorious, and, and now you're like a vile person. He says in verse 27, he says, I've seen thine adulteries and thy neighings and the lewdness of thy whoredom. 
and thy abomination on the hills of the fields. Woe unto thee, O Jerusalem, will thou not be made clean? When shall it once be? You say, Brother Mark, that is some very strong language. It is very strong language. But notice this and turn to Ephesians chapter number 5 and I close. Ephesians chapter number 5. God uses this picture that we would all understand. Hard for us to even almost read and almost imagine. In the Old Testament, I said this to you, the children of Israel were pictured as the bride and the, it was pictured in the union that you have there. And he says this to you. He says, you're like a harlot. You're like one that has committed adultery. In the New Testament, that responsibility is the church. Ephesians chapter number 5 and, and verse number 23, the Bible says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Notice this, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And then he says that he may present it spotless and blameless. But notice in, in verse number 32, he said, this is the great mystery I speak unto you concerning Christ and the church. Then he goes back to the human relationship. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I don't fully understand this and I, I think this is the reason the word the Bible uses this word mystery but God chose to help us understand this. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the beautiful relationship of a husband and wife and all throughout scripture we understand that. When I read what I read to you in Jeremiah chapter number 13, our heart hurts. And we think, man, I know some people have gone through that, and that's tough. That's very difficult. But I want to say this to you. When we choose our own way, that's the way God views us doing to Him. Choosing the strangeness of other gods instead of the union with God. Now, I ask you a question. I don't know a person in this room. You say, Brother Mark, it's Sunday night. We've had a great, many of you served last night, and I appreciate that. And We've had a great week, and, and hopefully things get back to a little more normalcy. And You say, I'm here because I want to be here. I don't know a person here that wants their life destroyed. I really don't. But my question for you is this. Are you willing to refuse the teaching and preaching of God's Word. You say, why do you ask it that way? Because you're headed one of those two ways. You're headed to the Lord in the closeness of the secret place that he even mentions there. He says, when I come to that secret place that should be where we dwell together, he said, in that secret place, I find pride. And he says, I'm going to have to come in and, and literally destroy it. And I ask you a question. What are you refusing to obey? What is it that God has said, hey? And then you say, yeah, I know what you're going to say. Well, if I do that, then people's going to think I'm, you know, goody, goody two-shoes. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just stay right here in the middle. I'm not going to quite go toward God. and I don't plan on going toward destruction. But what we're living is in the wicked place of the imagination of our own heart. And the Bible says this, do not be proud. 
He said, how do you know when you're being proud? How do you know when pride is entering into your life? When you no longer care what God says. So how do you know whether you care? Because you're willing to obey it. I mean, you're you willing to look, just simply say, hey, that's what God's word says. That's good enough for me. I'll obey God's word. What I'm challenging you with is the same thing the Lord spoke to me. By the way, I think it's the great sin of the church today. It's the sin of pride. The sin of doing it our way and our power and our energy without completely submitting to him and obeying him. And he says, even after our rotten, even after our refusal, even after our stupidity, he says, please don't, please look, please don't be proud and give me glory, look, before I have to bring the darkness and the drunkenness. And what I think God has done in our world today is bring us to that point where we have to choose whether we're going to obey the imaginations of our heart or whether we're going to, as strange, and by the way, getting stranger, whether we're going to say, no, I'm going to live by this book. I want you to bow with me in prayer.